Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you are with us today, you, you might be aware that we are in the midst of a series that we're calling In the Beginning. Uh, this is uh, the month of January. It's the month of beginnings, the time when we start a number of things. And so at the beginning of this year, we wanted to look at the book of beginnings, at the book of Genesis, to kind of calibrate our lives uh, as we start a new year together around the things that God would want us to focus on. And last week, as we began this study in Genesis chapter 1, really what we saw was we saw the heart of God towards us, people who were created in His image. What we saw in, in Genesis 1 was that God created a place, the Garden of Eden, and God created a, a people, created in His image, Adam and Eve, who He placed in that garden so that they could experience a very special privilege of living in relationship with Him. And this was the order that God created in the time known as the beginning. And it ought to encourage you and I because it expresses to us the heart of God to live in relationship with us, in connection to us. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how we can live out our lives um, in connection to this God even after our lives have been marred and obscured and wounded by sin. And so we're going to look at that today by looking at part two of this series in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and then also we're going to bounce a little bit into the book of Romans. But uh, before we open up God's Word and look at Genesis 3 together, I want to I pray for us. Father, we are just so thankful today that as we gather in this place, as we've already acknowledged you are with us, you are present in this room. And Father, because you are here, I pray that you would be our teacher. I pray that your spirit would work through your word to take your truths and to work them deep into our hearts and lives. Father, that we would be today changed people, um, believing you more, trusting you more as a result of our study. Father, I pray that you would protect me today from saying anything you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. But Father, any words that I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember them and we would believe them. We would walk forward in them in the power of your spirit that we might be shaped more into the image of your son. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I want to begin by asking you a question. What things do you hide? What things do you hide? Now, I want to narrow that field a little bit and say, don't think of the things that you hide seasonally, like Easter eggs, right? Occasionally, you hide eggs around your house or something like that, not just things that you hide seasonally. Also, I'm not referring to things that you hide for a time, but you hope to reveal later, like you might hide the fact that you're planning a surprise party for someone that you love. You, you hide that for a season, but eventually you want them to find out about the party, right? If you're planning a surprise party that you want to forever keep a secret from whoever you're planning it for, that's a bad idea. It's a waste of time, right? But I'm talking about not talking about the things that we hide for a season that one day we'd reveal. You, you might have a present that was that way. You bought a present for a loved one 
and you hid it for a time, Christmas present, birthday present, but then you gave it at the right moment. I'm not talking about those things that we hide seasonally or those things that, that we hide for a time only to reveal later. I'm talking about the things that you hide that you hope nobody ever finds. What kinds of things do we tend to hide? Well, I, I think that one of the things we don't tend to hide are things that make us look good. We don't tend to hide things that make us look good. As a matter of fact, if there's something that makes us look good, we want those around us to see it and to acknowledge it. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't always, you know, that we, we don't sometimes maybe give a gift that we want it to remain anonymous or we do something that we don't want any credit for. But I'm saying that generally speaking, um, we're not that upset if people find out when we do something that is flattering to us. Uh, guys, if, you are, uh, if, you're, if you're married, you can understand this. I heard comedian Jeff Foxworthy say one time that, that women do 90% of the work, and that means men do 10%, but we're just way more proud of our 10%. Uh, we want to make sure we get credit for our 10%, right? Uh, you know, Kimberly can clean the whole house, and, you know, I'll bring the popcorn bowl in from the table and say, hey, I did my part. We got it in here. We got it finished up. My 10%, I want to make sure I get some credit for that. I mean, it's sadly, that's true, right? Things that make us look good, we tend to not want to conceal those things. But the things that we tend to conceal are things that make us look bad. Things we tend to conceal are, are those, those experiences, those events, those attitudes, those patterns, that night, that relationship that we, we hope nobody finds out about because it just is not that becoming. It's just not that flattering. It, it makes us look, look bad. It makes us look ugly, whatever we would say. Those are the things that we tend to repress. Those are the things that we tend to hide. Now, what's interesting is that the Bible would give us a framework for understanding that. The Bible would let us know that many times the things that we want to hide are things that are connected to sin. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning. At the very beginning of time, the very first people that sinned immediately tried to hide from God and from each other. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what the Bible describes in Genesis chapter 3, the first sin and the hiding that resulted, the consequences of that sin. But then we're going to continue past that and talk about the hope that God provides for us who are hiding to reconcile us both to God and to each other, the hope that we have in Christ. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 and then some select verses in the book of Romans. And so if you got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin. And we're going to see a couple of things today as a part of this study. Now, the first thing that we're going to see this morning is that sin separates. Sin separates. We see this in the first 12 verses of Genesis chapter 3. Sin separates us. It's part of the consequences of it. And we see this all the way back to the very first sin that occurred. Now, just to, to reorient ourselves to the story, God created this special place, the Garden of Eden, where he put this special people, Adam and Eve, inside it, created in his own image. He gave them this privilege of blessing them, and they were living out their lives in relationship with God. In this place, God had tasked them with filling the earth, with multiplying it, with naming animals, with having dominion. He'd given them a job to do. But God had also given him a very special opportunity. God had given Adam and Eve in the garden the opportunity to trust him, to take him at his word. 
We see that unfold in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And in those verses, we see God give his first command to not do something. God had told them some things they were to do, part of their job, part of their mission, but he, in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, tells them some things that they're not to do. He says, there's a tree in the garden that I don't want you to eat from. Genesis 2, 15 says this. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, have you ever really thought about this scenario? I mean, I think this is a, a perplexing situation. It's an interesting situation. In the middle of this place that God created, and was it good? No, it was very good, right? He created this very good place. We would call it paradise, the Garden of Eden. And in the midst of that garden, there was a tree that they were not to eat from. Isn't that interesting? There's all of these trees that they could eat from, the apples and the pears and the bananas and and the coconuts, I mean, they could go, out, go all over those things. The reason why I know those weren't the, the bad fruits, because we still get to eat those, right? They, they were able to eat of those fruits of those trees, and they were to enjoy them. But there was one tree that they were not to eat from. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it that in paradise, God put a tree there that they were not to eat from? I think the, the reason, the best that I can understand is this. God put in there a tree that they were not to eat from, solely for the purpose of giving them a chance to trust God with something that they couldn't see. Just, just to trust him. I mean, was God real? He walked with me in the cool of the day. Adam could say that. Did God create all of this? Yeah, about five minutes ago, he created it. Um, you know, they, the only thing they had to trust him for that was unique that they couldn't see was to not eat from this one, true, one, 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 one fruit, one tree. It gave them a unique opportunity to trust God. It gives us a huge clue as to one, one of the major ways that you and I can give glory and honor to God is by just taking him at his word and trusting him. In paradise, before humans ever sinned, there was an opportunity for them to trust God. So God places this tree in this special place, and he says, don't eat from it. But do they eat from it? Yeah, they eat from it, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're familiar with this story. Um, you know, there were significant consequences that followed it. They, they couldn't maintain their, their trust in God, and they, they sin. They, they eat from this, this tree. And we saw last week a number of the consequences. They were kicked out of this special place and, and all of those kinds of things. There were consequences that flowed out of that. Um, but have you ever stopped and thought again, um, why did they sin? Why did Adam and Eve sin? Why did they disobey God? Why could they not just ignore that tree? Well, I think there's a, a few reasons why they, they struggled with it and stumbled in it. I think one of the things that happened with Adam and Eve, one of the reasons why they sinned was because Satan tempted them. Satan tempted them. We, we're familiar with this, and this is probably the answer you would have given. Why did they sin? Well, because the, the snake comes slithering in and talked them into it, right? We're familiar with that. Genesis 3 and verse 1 says that the, the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And then after Eve engages in a little conversation with them, Satan continues and says to the woman, 
you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Why did Adam and Eve sin? They, they sinned because there was Satan who was tempting them. That's one of the reasons why they sinned. He, he talked them into it. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it just than this external force talked them into sinning. A second reason why I think they sinned is because it looked good. Why did they eat of the fruit? Because the fruit looked pretty good to them. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. That interesting? When I ask what the tree of life looks like, or the, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looks like, uh, what in your mind, what does it look like? Maybe the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in your mind looks like an apple tree, because that's always what we've always been told. Um, but also maybe it just looks like just kind of a blah tree, right? Just kind of some scrub oak with some gray-looking fruit on it, you know? I mean, that's how we might imagine it, that it just doesn't look all that attractive. It'd be easy to not eat the fruit of an unattractive tree. You have a sick tree in your yard, how, how does that make you want to make a cobbler, right? Uh, it's the healthy tree that makes you want to make the cobbler. It's the, the healthy tree that makes you want to eat of its fruit. You know, if this tree had looked like, you know, this rancid dying fruit with flies buzzing around it and skull and crossbones on the trunk, they probably wouldn't have been as attracted to eat it. But that's not what this tree looked like, is it? The Bible doesn't paint the picture of a gray, ugly, fly-buzzing-around tree. The picture of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that it was, looked good to eat. It was attractive. So why did Adam and Eve sin? They sinned, first of all, because they were tempted to do so, but they sinned also because their eyes deceived them. They thought it looked good. There's a third reason why they sinned, I believe, and that's because they had the opportunity to do so. Look at what it says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 3. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is where? In the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. See, where was this tree? Was this tree on the outskirts of the garden? Was this tree in the suburbs of the garden? Was this tree just an arm's length outside of the Garden of Eden? Was it behind a fence? Was it behind a, a moat with alligators in it? No, it was in the midst of the garden. So that Adam, as Adam and Eve walked about in the Garden of Eden, in this special place, they saw this tree that looked good to their eyes and they had access to. And that combination of things proves deadly as Adam and Eve take of the fruit, they eat, and they sin. Now here's the question for us. Why is it that we sin? Why is it that we sin? Now, Adam and Eve's sin, the Bible would tell us, has an impact in that you and I were born with a predisposition to want to sin. So we could go theological, but let's just let's go practical for a moment. Why is it that we sin? Well, I think it's possible in certain circumstances that Satan is tempting us to sin. The, the Bible is clear that Satan is real, that he is prowling about like a lion to, to devour and to destroy us. Satan and demonic influence is trying to tempt us 
to not take God at his word, to do our own thing, to sin and dishonor him. Uh, there's a sense where that's true. And sometimes that, that happens directly. And, and other times this temptation comes from the mouths of others, right? Uh, friends, so-called friends, acquaintances who try to talk you into disobeying God. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but most of us in this room have probably had an experience in our lives where a, a friend or an acquaintance tried to talk us into doing something that would be dishonoring to the Lord. It's possible that we sin sometimes because we have been tempted into it. It's also possible, though, that we sin because sin is attractive to us. And let's be honest about that. Why is it that we sin? We sin because at times we just want to. I've got friends who have recovered from drug addiction, and they, they describe drug addiction this way. The very first time they took a hit of that drug, the very first time they got high, it was this incredible high, and they spend the duration of their addiction pursuing the renewal of that high. Why do they keep going back? Because it felt good, because to their eyes it looked good, but what did it leave in the wake of their life? It destroyed them. It, it brought them death, not life, but it was fun for a moment. Why is it that we sin? We sin because sometimes our eyes tempt us into thinking that living that lifestyle is what would really make us happy, what would really fulfill us. Why do people get involved in, in extramarital affairs? Why do people get involved in um, sex outside of marriage? Oftentimes, you get involved in those kinds of things because it looks good to your eyes. You think that's what you want. You can make a case for, for why this is better. It looks good. And yet, the Proverbs would tell us, and experience would tell us, that in the end, it's a way that leads to death. Why is it that we sin? We sin because sometimes we're tempted, but also because our eyes can deceive us. Things that look good on the front end don't always deliver on the back end. It's true in the garden. It's, it's true for us. And also, why is it that we sin? We sin because we have opportunity to do so. We live in a world that God has placed around us many opportunities to choose to follow him or choose to walk away from him. You know, many times people have this experience in your life. You're at a service, you're at a camp, um, you're at an event, you're, you're reading your Bible, you, you hear a message or whatever, and you make this decision that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to honor God. I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to go forward and throw my stick on the fire and, and, and go to the altar and have somebody pray over me. It's all going to change from this point on. And yet, what happens when you leave that place? You walk into a world that is full of opportunities to sin. And you can't make just one decision on one day in one place and have it cover you forever as it relates to resisting temptation. And so why is it that Adam and Eve sin? They sin because they were tempted, it looked good, and they had the opportunity. And you know what? We need to remember that because we can be kind of hard on Adam and Eve in these situations, right? You know, I, I kind of joked last week about you know, the expanded pain in childbirth and how women probably don't like Eve as a result. Um, you know, we can kind of be hard on them for the decision that they've made, but you know what? We've made similar decisions over and over and over again. And here's the thing. In this room, all of us are, are sinful people. You know, you might think, okay, I'm, I'm going through this. Am I, am I talking just to somebody? No, I'm talking to me. 
If it's possible for me to join you and we just have a, a mirror up there or something like that so you can see all of us together, this is a message for all of us. All of us are sinful people. But here's the problem. Sin carries with it consequences, real consequences, and we forget that. You know, sometimes we think that the consequences of sin are, are really small because we, we just don't understand all of that. We think of, of sin like speeding. How many of you can tell me what the speed limit is on, on Robinson Street out here by the church? Yeah, you really ought to know the answer to that. It's 40, okay? Um, it's 40 miles an hour over here on Robinson Street. Um, now, how many of you have ever sped faster than 40 miles an hour on Robinson Street? Well, we got an officer out there helping us with parking. He, 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 I'm, I'm guilty, right? You're, you're guilty too. There's, there's times that we've gone over that speed limit. But, but what happens if you go 41 or 42? Probably not much, Right? You're not going to be thrown in jail for going 41 and a 40. You're not going to be thrown in jail for going 42 and a 40. Um, I'm not advocating it. I'm just stating a reality. And so we get, we get brought up into this idea and understanding that, that breaking the law is just not all that important. Small breaks don't have that big a deal. They don't have that big a consequence. But here's the thing when it comes to the laws of God. Here's the thing when it comes to the Scripture. There are significant consequences to sin. How significant? How big were the consequences to eating a piece of fruit they weren't supposed to eat? The consequences were enormous. Look at the consequences that flowed out of the disobedience that Adam and Eve had. We, we talked some last week about some of the, the things that happened, but look at what their sin does to their relationship with God. The people who were created in this place to live in relationship with the God that they were created in His image, they sin. And then look at what happens in verses 8 to 10. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Now, that's a fascinating situation. We don't get the sense that this was the first time that God had ever walked with in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam was living in relationship with God. And yet we do get the sense that this is the first time that when God shows up, Adam runs and hides. Now, there's different types of running and hiding. You know, if you've got kids, there's the type of hiding where they, they say, I'm going to go hide, come find me, like hide and seek. It's kind of a fun game, right? There's that kind. But there's also a second kind of hiding, which is I'm going to go hide because I'm afraid of what you will do to me if you were to find me. Um, a rule has been broken, uh, a consequence is due, and the child will run and hide themselves from their parent uh, because they want to avoid that consequence. That's, that's what happened here with Adam, I believe. I believe it's the latter. He didn't go hide to play hide and seek with God. He went and hid because he was afraid of what God would do when he found him. There was a sense of shame. There was a, a brokenness in his relationship with God and with Eve's relationship with God. How big are the consequences of just eating a piece of fruit? Pretty significant. They separated man from God. How big are the consequences of our sin, of our disobedience? Pretty big. They separate us from God. 
book of Romans chapter 3 tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The book of Romans chapter 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's a separation from God. How significant is it that we have this little hobby, that we have these things that we want to hide, that we have this desire or this situation that we've played out pretty significant? They've separated us from the God in whose image we were created. It grieved God to show up and find his image bearer in that situation. Sin separates us from God. But notice, sin does more than just separates us from God. Sin separates people from people. Look at what sin does with with Adam and Eve. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then on down in verse 11, let me pause for a moment there. How long had Adam and Eve been naked? Since creation. We, we don't know exactly. Don't dwell on that visual, but just they, they've been naked before. They've been naked around each other. And yet it wasn't until sin entered the world that they said, I want to cover myself so that you can't see me. There was shame. There was, there was separation that was happening right there with that very first set of folks. They, they just began to separate when sin entered the world. But not only was there a separation physically, but there also was a separation in terms of their attitude and actions towards one another. What does Adam do at first opportunity after sin enters the world and he has the chance to speak about his wife? Does he honor her? No, he throws her right under the bus. Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked, God said? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. When sin enters the world, it separates not only man from God, but it separates people from people, separates us from each other. And you know what? This is the reality in which we live. You know, all of us are here and we, because we're created in the image of God, we are very intrigued with the notion of being connected with God. We live in a world that is infatuated with religion infatuated with, with God talk. I mean, yes, there's all these articles that could be written about uh, people's dalliances with atheism, but if you go over the history of humanity, we are a people who are infatuated with God. We're intrigued by him. But because of sin, if we are left to our own devices, we are, our, our infatuation with God is frustrated because we are separated from him forever. And we are people who are gathered here today, and we have a desire to connect with one another. We do. We don't want to be lonely. We want, we want friends. We want connection. We want relationship. And yet, because of sin, we, we're afraid of one another, and we end up pushing everybody away. Because sin has entered the world, you know that we have this inherent fear of one another? In case you haven't ever thought about it, let me explain it this way. Because of the sin in my life, I'm afraid of you. Because I'm afraid if you saw me for who I really am, you might reject me. I'm afraid if you saw me because of the sin in your heart for who I am, that you might ridicule me and make fun of me. This is the fear that exists. Because of the sin that exists in your life, I'm afraid of you because I'm afraid you might hurt me. See, the consequences of sin are not just separating us from God. They separate us from each other, and we walk around fearful people, 
afraid of each other, frustrated in our relationship with God. And if we were to end the story of our faith right here, if we were to close our Bibles after Genesis 3, we would have an interesting story that would explain much of the, the feelings that we have in life. But we would end the story frustrated, separated from God and from each other. But here's the great things, folks. The God of the universe who created us in that special place, created us as a special people in his image, and gives us the special privilege of blessing us. We saw last week how sin kind of closed us off to that place, but God set in motion a plan to give a new people a new place to experience a new privilege, and and we get the benefit of that. This God who loves us and cares for us has provided a way for that separation that our sin creates to be mended. That's found through the person of Jesus Christ. What we're going to see in Romans is this. Jesus mends what sin separates. This is a church group. You guys have been around church for a while. Maybe this is your first Sunday, but there's a number of you in here that I've seen before. We're used to hearing phrases like that, but I want it to really hit you today. Jesus mends what sin separates. Hey, that's worth at least one amen. Jesus mends what sin separates. Jesus mends what sin separates. And he does it in relationship to our connection with God, and he does it as it pertains to our connection with each other. As it pertains to our relationship with God, what Jesus has come and has done for us is he's provided a way for us to be saved. Book of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 are a great anchor passage for us to look at to talk about what God has done for us in mending the relationship with God that was separated because of sin. Romans 5.1 says this, the Apostle Paul writes and says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a wonderful promise, folks. We should never get tired of hearing that. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ Because of our sin, we were separated from God. And that separation carried with it anger and wrath that God had towards our sin. Because of my sin in my life, God was angry with me. Because of the sin in my life, there was a penalty that had to be paid. But here's what's amazing. It's possible for all of us in this room who have this universal problem of sin that is separated from God, it's possible for all of God's wrath and anger and judgment concerning our sin to be paid for with what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. When Jesus went to the cross, he, he died this, this terrible death, but God poured out his wrath and his judgment that anybody who would trust in him would see all of God's wrath and anger paid when Jesus died, not heaped onto our own heads. So that when we read this, it's, it's not just a nice idea, it's a blessed truth that you and I can have peace with God. You and I who were once separated from him can have peace with him because of what Jesus has done for us. 
He continues on after making that statement, and he describes uh, in verse 2 one of the outflows of having this relationship with God. It says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that phrase in Romans 5 too. It talks about us being gaining access to a, a new place, a place that is characterized by God's grace. We have access to it. We get to live in it. In the original language, this, this phrase that is here translated obtained access, I think it's, it's uh, translated introduced in the New American Standard. In the original language, that phrase was used often in nautical situations to describe boats gaining access or an introduction into a protected set of waters. See, out on the open sea, the waves could tear a ship apart. It was difficult to operate, but when ships would make it into a, a protected cove, they were okay. There was no risk of waves capsizing them. They were able to work a little more freely. The idea here is that if we have trusted in Christ, that we have gained peace with God that has gained us access to a condition of living inside of God's grace where we are protected, not just for one day or one season, but forever. That the waves that would tear us apart otherwise of the wrath of God were fully satisfied in Christ, and we get to live in this new place called grace. You see, if we have trusted in Christ then what was separated with our sin in terms of our vertical relationship with God has been mended together, and we can have peace with God. We can have a new relationship with Him. Now, there's two sides of that. In this room, I know there are many of you that this is one of the most blessed things you've ever heard, the most blessed thing you've ever heard. There was a point in time in your life when you came to an understanding that you were a sinner separated from God and, and you trusted in the work of Christ on the cross to, to mend together your relationship with God so that you could be with him for eternity. And if that's the case, if that describes you, if you made that commitment, that decision, trusted Christ at some point in your life, I want you to be encouraged today that you're living in a graceful place. Regardless of your feelings, regardless of what your eyes tell you, Know that the wrath of God is satisfied concerning your sin, that he has welcomed you into his presence, and that he wants to live in relationship with you for eternity. If you've trusted in Christ, know and believe that he has given you that peace. But the second thing is this. If you are here today and you have not yet trusted in Christ, you, you have not placed your faith. You've never come to that spot. Maybe you're, you're seeking things out. A friend invited you. Uh, you've been here for a while, but you're just kind of checking out these things of God. I want you to, to just ask the question, what is stopping you today? Not one day, but today. What's stopping you today from placing your faith in Jesus Christ? Because make no mistake about it, there is an ocean of God's wrath that wants to capsize your boat. Not because God is, 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 has out for you, but because he's a holy God and our sin is, a, is an affront to him. But God is offering you access to the protected waters of his grace based on what he has done in Christ. He's offering you peace. If you've not yet placed your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you to do so today. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of our message. Because one of the things that Jesus does is he mends the relationship 
between man and God. But another thing that Jesus does is he mends the relationship between people. He mends the relationship between man and man. We see this also in the book of Romans in in chapter 12. You see, if our sin causes us to be afraid of one another, if our sin causes us to want to push each other away, Romans 12 tells us that one of the things that God does as he works to our good through Christ is that he unites us back to one another. Chapter 12, verse 4 says this. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're we're connected. We become a part of one body. See, our sin makes us want to push each other away. But what God has done for us in Christ is he's provided a gracious place for us to come back and reconnect. And he's done it by design. We, we gather and we need each other by design, not just by convenience. We gather not just because we're in the same geography, but because we're of the same body. If you're a believer in Christ, we've been knitted together as one. We gather to worship. We gather in community as expressions of the unity that, that God provided for us in Christ. There's a, a, a unity that, that God provides. And this unity of experience, he goes on in chapter 12, verse 15, to say that because of the unity, because we're of one body, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep. We have a shared experience because we're in one body. Christ has made it possible for people that we otherwise might be afraid of to be united together, and we get to celebrate together. Because we're in one body, when, when, the, when the Fredericks mourn, I mourn. Because we're in, in one body, when the Sagabiles rejoice, I rejoice. Because we're, we're, we're in one body, even when we haven't seen them in a while, when the lenses are here, we, we celebrate that, Right? We get a shared experience, folks. We get a shared experience. And this is one of the great gifts that God has given us, and it's by design. See, our our sin tempts us to want to resist that community. Though Christ has created it, though he's provided it, our sin makes us want to resist it. It makes us want to push others away because of the reasons we've already described. See, we, we don't ask for wisdom because we feel like to ask would be to show that we're ignorant. See, we don't ask for prayer because for others to know that might reveal that we're, we're weak and we, we need some help. In, in order, you know, we, we tend to isolate because of our fears, because of our frailty, because of, of our, our, our sin. But, but here's the thing. God created us incomplete. He created us incomplete so that we would need each other. You know, he created us so that if my prayers, I feel like, are bouncing off the ceiling, he created us in community so that you could say, guess what? I feel like God is answering this prayer that I've been praying for a long time. It's a reminder. See, if I think that God's not working based only on my experience, my subset is just too small. Any good statistician would tell you that you have to have a big enough subset, a big enough data pool to verify the information. And if you're judging God only by the experience that you've gone through in your life in the last six months, 12 months, 10 years, your subset is just too small. God created us and places us in community to remind us that he's at work and that he's good and that he cares and that he's present. 
See, Jesus came to mend us back together. Now, earlier in the service, we, we, we talked about this whole thing about group launch. And, you know, it's, it's easy to, uh, to think about this um, when, when somebody stands up here on this stage and, and starts talking about this, like, oh, okay, they're going into announcement mode. I can turn off, and they just have to do this because they have programs, because they like programs, and they're a church. They're going to invite me to stuff. So I, obligatory. I'm going to get all my stuff together. Don't do that, okay? Stop for just a minute, all right? Here's the deal. I'm talking about this today because I believe that God created you with a need for other people. Wayne Berryhill took the stage a couple weeks ago and said that we all need a platoon, and he's exactly right. We all need a group of people around us in life because that's the way God designed us to be. Part of what Jesus did when he died on the cross was that he knit us together as people. What does the expression of being together look like for you? Who are you around? Who are you with? Small groups are a great expression of what that can look like in the local church. I, I, I get together with our small group on Sunday nights because I need it. I need their encouragement. I need their friendship. I need their love. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I, I need it. And you know what? You do too. Not our group. We, we blow the walls out. But you, you need an expression of that. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly what that looks like. For some, it's a men's group. For others, it's a women's group. For some, it's it's a, it's a group connected to people that you work with or family, extended family. I mean, all, everybody's situation is different, but you need a platoon. And if you're looking for that, if you're looking for that connection, uh, we're just trying to create a place where those connections can happen here at Wildwood. And that's what Group Launch is all about. And so if you have not, if you're looking for that, if you want to have an expression of this connection, um, but you, you don't know where to go, come to Group Launch here in a couple of weeks. And at, at the end of the service, our, our uh, pastor of Connections, Brian Hayes, is going to be right down here at the front. And if you would like more information about group launch, you can come up and talk to him. There's also a sign-up at the gathering hall. But I say that out of love uh, because I know that God designed us to need uh, this kind of community. See, Jesus mends what sin separates. Let me pray. Father, I just uh, thank you so much for the time that you've given us here, the place, the opportunity to worship you. And Father, I, I pray today thanking you for what you have, have provided for us and what you have mended together through Christ. And Father, I want to pray specifically right now for those who are here that maybe have not ever placed their faith and their trust in Christ. Father, I know just over 25 years ago that, that uh, I placed my faith in you for the first time in response to an invitation to exchange my sin and the, the judgment that it deserved for your forgiveness and mercy in Christ. And Father, I want to give a, a similar offer here for those today. Father, any that whose hearts have been convicted, who you are leading to the point of trusting in Jesus, I pray that they would just pray after me in their hearts. Father, that they would pray and just thank you that you're a good God and that you pursue us and that you want to live in relationship with us. You want to give us a privilege of blessing. And Father, I thank you that though we are sinful people, that you have sent your Son to take the penalty for our sins so that we might receive your forgiveness and grace and mercy instead. Father, we trust you. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We follow you. We thank you for mending together what our sin has said. In Jesus' name.